Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting, uh, bridging the gap between week two and week three, Michigan beat Western Michigan 49-3. We'll talk about the SMU game later on, but I don't expect that one to be close. Uh, but anyway, I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz is on the phone lines with me. You can always check out our stories at themichiganinsider.com and 247sports.com slash Michigan. So we got lots of Michigan stuff. We got some good questions. We got some some insight on Shea Patterson, the offensive line, kind of what, not just what's going to happen this week, but also what should happen, like what would constitute as a, as a successful weekend. I kind of like that uh, topic last week. But before we do that, per the request of Steve, we're going to talk about the Lions. They lost 48-17 to the Jets. The Jets are not a good football team. They they have not scored 40 points in quite some time. They had a uh, quarterback making his debut. They scored a punt return touchdown. They had, like, what, five interceptions? If it wasn't five, it was four, uh, including a pick six. They basically made the Lions look like they were on the wrong field, playing the wrong sport, or both. Uh, and so, Steve, you want to talk about the Lions. Please explain why you wanted to talk about the Lions after that game. It, it wasn't so much about the Lions, just like, and yeah, no need to really make such an effort to like separate yourself from the conversation <laughs> for some reason. Like, it's not that, it's not like we're going to spend a ton of time. It was more of a meta deal where it's like, and I wondered if people out there felt this way. Um, so, and it ties into college football. So, like, Florida State gets beat by Virginia Tech. Almost lose to Samford the next week. Yeah, yep, okay, yep. And so, prominent, we'll just say prominent national writer writes this, like, what I thought was a ridiculous article about, uh, like, not like that Willie Taggart was on the hot seat, but that the pressure's already, like, building up or something. It was just and you don't think there's like, pressure on him? Okay, so, no, that's, okay, I know what you're trying to do. So, there's always pressure to win at a school like Florida State. Right. Okay. That, so I get that. But my point, like, you'd have to read the article. Maybe I'll link it in the thread on the board after we post this podcast. But, like, it was just, it was way too much. It was going way too overboard for, like, one loss against a Virginia Tech team that I think might be pretty good this year. I mean, they're... Like, playoff good? Beat Clemson good? I don't know what play... What, what if what if they're top fifteen? That's pretty good, you know. Because I don't think anybody, you don't think don't Florida think, State recruits well enough to be in that group, especially in a home game. I would not have picked Florida State to be a top fifteen. I picked Virginia Tech to win the game, if I remember. If I do, you pick them to pants the Knolls like that. Okay, it wasn't so even like close. I get that Florida State laid an egg. I'm not like I'm just saying. So one game, you know. Well, anyway, they. I this is where it t- ties into Monday. Is I actually ended up feeling that way about Patricia. Like I've never the, all the time I've ever watched football, you know, since I was a kid or whatever. Or I guess I'd have to say probably the last like ten years because when I was a kid I would not have been thinking about the game. Like, hmm, I don't know if this coach is really cut out for this. Right. But <laughs> yeah, but uh, I've never watched a game and actually and had that thought like cross my mind. And I mean, obviously it was during the third quarter after blown assignment after blown assignment on all in all three facets uh, of the game you know I just I thought you know in my head I was like man I just don't know if this guy is capable like it they just looked so horrible it wasn't just like a blowout it was just the way that it was a stupidity driven 
blowout. Yeah, yeah. Just like everything about it, you know, the Darren, the second, the Darren Lee pick six, where you know they ran that Riddick route that they run every every game every year. I'm usually <laughs> down. You know, just like the only route that Theo Riddick runs as on a pa- you know as far as passing goes, and they basically just sat there and waited for it. Um, you know, I just I don't know if I guess my my question was if one game is, I mean, can one game be enough? To just to maybe already draw a reasonable conclusion like are we're one game into the matt patricia era with the lions and can we already say that like that there's no way this guy's gonna ever lead them to where detroit fans want the lions to eventually end up i think you you, know? you, you you might be close i think the one thing is like that was a very bizarre like collapse because they were i mean they were tied Right, and then all of a sudden it was just like literally. They had a gift. They had a seven nothing lead thanks to a gift on the first. I mean, they even got. A, they were basically given a free lead in the game. I mean, <laughs> that's true. Like, but you know, but you know, yeah. you know what I mean though. It's like they're in the third quarter and it's like a tie. I mean, it's a tie game. Even if without that seven points, it's a it's a football game. And then it was just this collapse. I I I can think of one game. It wasn't a first game, but it was a second game. 2008 Rich Rod loses to Toledo. What was it, 13-9? Yeah. Do you think you can make the case that was another one where, I mean, obviously Michigan isn't going to, they're not quite as volatile as NFL teams are as far as, like, you know, get rid of this coach because he did this. But in retrospect, and perhaps even at the time, you know, your first loss to a Mac school ever and you only scored nine points and you're, like, this offensive guru, that's yeah. that's probably in that same category. I, I would agree. I mean, Toledo was a worse upset than App State. I think anybody who knows anything about football would agree with that. So, yeah. um, you know, not to go back to App State, but people forget. I think that that App State team ended up having like six guys playing the NFL. Yeah, and they were reigning FCS champs or one AA and champs. They, yeah. Didn't they end the season with votes in the poll too? Like Maybe. I know they lost a couple – FCS yeah, games later in the know. season, but but it was a it was a it was like playing either, North Dakota State nowadays, right? Is the same thing, you know? And if, right, either yeah, either way, I agree. But like, I just so okay, so I guess that kind of leads into like all of a sudden, there's just a world of pressure on Detroit on Sunday against San Francisco, right? I mean, if they come out and lay another egg, like. Then I think that you have to sound the alarms, don't you? I mean, I think a little, yeah, yeah. I think that's. I, fair. I mean, the bizarre. schedule doesn't get easier. Oh man, the schedules. I mean, that's a thing. Like if they they lost on Monday, that was one of their three or four most winnable games in my opinion. Because that, <laughs> you know, there's no way that the Jets. I, I don't think that I don't think sun, Monday's game says much about the Jets and or no. Sam Darnold or Sam Darnold who got all the pub somehow. You know, despite the Lions basically crapped the bed the entire game, and they act like Darnold is the one that led them. I mean, he was probably not even. I loved the New York newspapers, um, which you know, I mean, I know their headlines are kind of hilarious on purpose, but the New York newspapers, a lot of them were like bending over backwards to make it sound like uh, Sam Darnold like inspired the defense to do a bunch of interceptions and inspired the punt returns, and it's like they're basically. Like giving, they're they're letting Sam Sam Darnold take credit for everything the Lions did. Like the Lions completely screwed up, therefore inspiring the defense to do. You know, it was just it was funny because yeah, I mean it, the Lions, you know, urinated away that game. That's what it is. Yeah. 
<laughs> they did. They did. <laughs> Come on, man. I'm released PG-13, aren't we? Like, geez. Uh, but no, I agree. So no, that was just my, that was it. Okay. It wasn't really even about the Lions game specifically. It was more about, uh, like, can you, from a big picture standpoint, I think is, college is football, or, you know, I think college football is a lot tougher to do that with because there is that thing like get your own recruits like the Lions, you know, it's kind of like like with Michigan's offensive line situation. It's like you can only blame, you know, you can only get so mad about the offensive line situation because it's not like they can go trade. I mean, if they could trade, uh, I don't know, you know, a linebacker to get an offensive tackle in, I'm sure they would. You know, so like, like right. you get to you get to blame the GM and the and the coaches a little bit sooner in the NFL because it's their team that they put together. Now it's not entirely their team, but it's not like it's not like they need uh, Matt Patricia's next recruiting class is really going to change every. You know, it's not it's not how it goes. So it's so like for for Willie Taggart, for example, like yeah, Florida State's got a lot of talent, but they have some deficiencies that he hasn't had time to uh, correct. You know, with his personnel and and so and you know, thinking of like Rich Rod, it's like, what was, what did everyone say when they lost to Toledo? They're still adjusting to the spread. They don't have their right quarterback. Right. You know, they don't have all the pieces in place for this, for the system to work. So yeah, I mean, you know, you see it. I, I feel like, feel like you're, you're, you're probably close. Cause especially yeah. like if the players are already kind of like not into Matt Patricia's approach and, well, that, and that's, that's a whole nother level of discontent. If that's the, if that's really is, you know, I know there were the reports or whatever, none of it. Yeah. Had, Kyle Menke does a great job for M live. didn't seem, seem to be ha- like sort of on the fence, like said that he thinks there's evidence it's the case, but nobody will go on the record. Right. Um, if that's the case, so what do you do? You either clean house or you, you know, like it's just very precarious. Never seen a coaching deal start off worse in history. <laughs> uh, than that one, and of course, it's got to be for the Lions. Who after the, what the Bears? I know the Bears blew it on whatever night, Thursday or Friday or whatever. But um, Lions definitely look like the worst team in the division for sure. They do. So, they do. Yeah. That that part's true, and that's that's not how it was not supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not part of the deal. So, um, anyway, all right. Now we can go to Michigan. Yeah, uh, you have my permission. Okay. <laughs> to, to well, could, almost conversely to to the Lions uh, screw up on on Monday, Michigan did just about everything right on Saturday. They won forty nine to three. You know, one takeaway I had, and this is what when people asked what I thought of the game, this is what I told them. I said it's been they did not make it look easy in any game last year. Actually, like even like Air Force and Cincinnati and. Rutgers and Maryland and Minnesota it's like it was always kind of like when are they going to pull away are they going to pull away it looks like they didn't pull away but they won by you know a few possessions so that's something this was like a very easy one it was like boom 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 you know they're up 21 nothing after a quarter 28 nothing after 20 minutes of play uh, 35 nothing at the half and just just really coasted um we got some questions, so so I think the the one that we can start with uh, more of a more of a tongue in cheek one, but Rick Moody, how many Heisman's for Shea? One, two, or three? He only has two years of eligibility, so three is impossible. Uh, two is not going to happen either, unless he starts throwing for 450 yards a game. But the general the general sense of this question is he 
he looks really good, you know, and they still have, uh, you know, we can talk, we'll talk about the offensive line because that's, that's apparently a regular segment on our show nowadays, but Shea looks very good, 32 of 47, 352 yards. Uh, they got, he got the receivers to score as many touchdowns on Saturdays they had in the last 12 or really in the last like 18 months, three touchdowns and, and uh, you know, I, I think that str- that drought was a little bit overblown, but there is something to be said. That vertical passing game can really open things up for Michigan. It can it can make these blowout games easy. It gives you a a, an op- a nice little offensive weapon to use if you need to pull off a comeback victory. Something they couldn't really do as much last year. So. I don't know, you know, your thoughts on Shea, but I I think he looks really good. He looks sharp. He looks like an upgrade. And when you compare him, let's say Rudock is the comparable first-year quarterback who has experience elsewhere but is new to the system. He's way ahead of where Rudock was through two games a couple years ago. So uh, I think, you know, I I called him a handy upgrade, but he could be even more than that if if he continues to progress. Yeah, I agree. I, I I don't know like uh, I don't think it takes a what's it a rocket scientist <laughs> people always go to isn't that what they always go to yeah when there's like a, um, yeah I mean he's the best quarterback they've had under Harbaugh for sure um, probably I mean I need a couple more games but close to best since Henny I mean you're entering that territory he's but I mean you know like when a guy just like makes throws yeah. His, the, the second or the was it the third? Which one to Peoples Jones? Yeah, yeah, touchdown number two. Like yeah. that's like those are throws not many guys can make. And the and it was funny because I think I wrote this in my ten immediate reactions or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the two big throws I thought he made were that touchdown to Peoples Jones and then across the body to Oliver Martin. Well, those are the two throws that Harbaugh specifically mentioned this week. So you're saying as, you yeah, and him think out. alike. Well, I just like to think I know a little bit about the quarterback position, you know. Yeah, I'm just they were really I'm, good throws. I mean, I'm kidding. In, but. And the thing that he does I like is he's able to adjust the velocity and arc on his yep. throws. You know, it's not there's and and that 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 means that there aren't very many throws that he can't make. I know that phrase is usually applied to like the deep ball, sixty yard bomb, but like. What are you going to do if there's a defensive lineman with, with with his hand up, a linebacker coming across the field, and a cornerback covering somebody? You know, it's like like there's a you know, I'm I'm talking about the Peoples Jones throw. You know, there were a whole bunch of people who could have barely, you know, just barely couldn't get it, and so for him to have that placement, you know, that exact velocity, because if he'd thrown it slower, Peoples Jones is out of bounds. If he throws it faster, it probably gets broken up. So it's it's a it's an art, know. you know. It's it's and he's he's you know, working with the, with the brush right now. He's got some it to him. And that's something I don't think Michigan's had at quarterback in quite a while. You know, there were guys like, here's the thing is like spate for the most part played pretty well in 16. Um, You know, I, I I don't, you know, but I, I think, uh, and Rudock, you know, obviously finished the year very strong in 15. um, But, you know, I think Patterson gives them their best chance to win some of those big games that they haven't won. Yeah. Know, under Harbaugh. Yeah. And so, um, and that's, it's tangible, mm-hmm. you know. We have um, the stats back it up. He has the best quarterback rating, best completion percentage out of anybody in a decade, uh, you know, and and that's in his first two games in the offense. Uh, the other thing I really like. Yeah, that's the thing. That's yeah. the thing. It's, they're going to get better. That's like the, you know, 
That's one thing. Well, in theory, right? <laughs> well, I know, but regard that's the yeah, but regardless of who's played quarterback, I feel like you know even last year things started to click a little bit more mm-hmm. late. I feel like you know Michigan probably regressed. You know, last year was an anomaly just because there was a lot of transition there between you know after Spake getting hurt and then O'Corn and then. But Peter's remember Peter's then, third start against Wisconsin. Yeah, and there was that moment where it was like, oh, you know, they might have something here. Yeah, that's exactly Yeah. You know, he looked fine until he got jacked. You yeah. know, and um so yeah, I, I just and I that's the thing is like I know you can't guarantee that the unit's gonna get better, but I think the thing is is like the foundation is so much higher because they have a great they have a potentially great quarterback that I think it's it's easier to invest in the idea that they are gonna get better. You know, it's not like it's not a deal where you, you can look at it and say, eh, I think they're playing over their heads a little bit. You know, I think it's a deal that might be the opposite. I think the receivers are starting to look very, very solid. They're 80% like catch rate this year after yeah. 50% counting, last year. Are you counting Perry's as a drop on Saturday? Is that register as a drop? Sorry, catch rate is targets, uh, catches divided by targets. So whether oh, you drop well, it or it was incomplete. Okay, yeah. yeah, so What's last year... Last year they caught 93 of 186 pass attempts, which is 50. percent This year they're up to 80. Uh, they're averaging three and a half more yards per target. So again, same situation. If you throw it to Perry, no matter whose fault it was, you know if it's an incompletion, it's right. an incompletion. Right. Um, I don't have the drop stats, but I don't think. I mean, it's only been at, at most it's three, and last year they had 18. Against Notre so. Dame, and then maybe Perry. That yeah. was a pretty high ball. I mean, it's not – I think he could have, should have maybe caught it, but it was also not – it was one of Patterson's two or three worst throws of the game for sure. Right. So. And so, so yeah, I mean, they're just doing a lot of things well. I also – one thing I, I think is worth mentioning is I, I, I'm I cautious to say this because everyone seemed to get this impression that Shea Patterson's like this dual threat guy. He's not. He's not Johnny Manziel at – best he's Brian Lewerke with his feet you know where he can he can make a couple plays but uh until he does I'm not totally inclined to believe that but he is quick in the in the pocket and he is good on the run and I think that's that's something Michigan's going to keep getting better at too because if they can have these play sets with him on the run suddenly instead of giving up four or five sacks to Michigan State you know maybe a couple of those are completions where that he's able to make a pass downfield because he's good on the run and he, he doesn't need the offensive line to, to hold for four or five seconds. He, he needs them to hold for two seconds and then he can create his own extra couple seconds while guys get open. So certainly, yep. certainly lots of, lots of like there. I mean, you know, I wrote this story yesterday, the receivers look a lot better. Uh, part of that is just the growth. And I thought Jake McCurry, he didn't. He seemed like he was kind of tiptoeing around it, but he was talking about how the leadership is better in the receiver room this year. And he mentioned McElwain. He mentioned Perry. I mean, you know, I think the phrase I used in my story was perhaps they were a little rudderless last year. They didn't necessarily have a uh, a person to follow, and right. so that and and you know this year's group. I know it's like it's like all sophomores, and then it's Grant Perry. It's actually an interesting dynamic. So it's mm-hmm. still young. But it seems like there's more of a, I mean, at the very least, right? Like if they're trying to explain to Donovan Peoples-Jones, like how how to, you know, kind of use your hips to deceive a cornerback. 
Well, Jim McElwain has studied it for years, and he coached it at high levels, Alabama and Florida. Roy Roundtree has done it, so he can literally translate what McElwain did into a drill. And then Grant Perry can kind of show what he knows, too. So it's a little bit, it's just easier for things to be taught. So, yeah, I, I think that passing offense, there's something to it. I don't know if it's going to be best in the Big Ten or win them every single game they play. Uh, but there's there's certainly a reason to be excited about that. Um, I don't know. Anything else stand out no. to you, especially in that Western Michigan game? Oh, uh, Joel Honigford. How much did he play? He was in the backup unit. I mean, everyone wants everyone's like all like doing the whole while the backups played really well, they should all start. <laughs> yeah. <thing. laughs> um, but in all actuality, though, uh, Honeyford was a guy I don't think was ever talked about at all uh, this offseason. And going back and rewatching, he was really, really good, actually. Mm. Um, almost. Okay. To the point, you know, that, you know, when they said that right guard was a little bit of question there, you know, whether it would be Spinellis or, or Big Mike uh, to begin the season is, you know, again, I know it's Western, it's their backups or whatever, but man, like Honeyford really jumped out uh, as a guy. Definitely looks like he's going to have a future here for sure. And uh, was really one of the le- lesser talked about scholarship offensive linemen uh, since he's been there. And uh, yeah. but was but was a guy that we talked about before. Was not a first year guy. Was never going to be a first year guy. Even if the best case scenario in his first year came true, he was not a guy who was going to play right away. Uh, but maybe more of a year two, year more likely year three guy. And after seeing him on Saturday, granted I know limited snaps, probably against some backups, but still uh, definitely looks like a year three guy. Hmm. You know, okay. a guy that's going to they- give whoever a run for, if he sticks at right guard. Yeah, because uh, Filiaga looked pretty good at left guard too. Um, you know, the guy that are gonna they're gonna challenge for those spots. So I guess what I I guess the thing that stood out to me, it was a lot of the, I think it's just the idea that Michigan has some really talented young players coming up, and, and all over the field too, not just on the <laughs> offensive line. Yeah, like I just feel like they're a lot. Like I thought, like True Wilson even was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought he was really impressive. I thought. Jordan Anthony was very good at linebacker. Um, Yeah, we did get a question about upcoming position battles. So maybe some of the guys that you're about to list are we can save for that. Although I guess we could tackle it right now if you wanted. Uh, Yeah, I don't care. Question, Eric, who's the backup pushing the starter the most in your opinion? I think he sent a second tweet clarifying not on the offensive line because we got a couple questions about the offensive line. Oh, but shocking. yeah, right. <laughs> but um, but I'm curious because because one guy that re- immediately stands out to me, uh, Brad Hawkins and Josh Metellus. I think that Absolutely. battle. You know, we mentioned it as a potential fall camp battle, but we kind of like had it lower on the totem pole. Like, oh, this might be a battle. Uh, we mentioned other players too, but that that looks like one that's brewing. Uh, I'm curious, is there anyone else? That immediately pops pops into your head. Does Brandon uh, Watson count? Oh, he could. He could. Would you start him over one of those guys? I mean, I don't know if I'd start him, but I mean, I think you'd be hard pressed to say he hasn't been their best cornerback so far. I'm sure he has. I would agree. Yeah, with Yeah, I mean, I you know, and so he's got the experience. It's not like he's some, 
young, inexperienced guy who doesn't really know what he's doing, but just his talent. I mean, he's a guy that's been around, mm-hmm. you know, so I think it's a different deal where if Hill, you know, or Long is, is not playing up to par, like now that I think they have a more than viable guy to put on the outside. Now, I mean, he's been great so far. Uh, so he's another one that I think of. I kind of feel like, and I wrote this immediately after the game, it, it kind of gets a sense that Josh Ross is going to take the will job and run with it. Um, he was really good on Saturday. Okay. Yeah. Well, we. Um, yeah. Yeah. I. I, I think hope, the one thing. I thought he was, I was pretty good. I thought he was too. I think the one thing I think Gill is like faster. That's. I mean, every player I've talked to is kind of. That's been what they've said. They're like, he's the pass rushing guy. He's the blitz the quarterback guy. Ross is more of like the hit hard guy. Ross so. sure plays fast though. I mean, that's the thing. I don't know if he. Yeah, just has you can make up for a little bit of speed. Yet. Yeah, absolutely. Like he seems to kind of have that knack, sort of that natural. Well, he's, you know, comes from linebacker family, so right. sure he knows how. Right. He knows how to play linebacker, right? <laughs> so, um, um, but you well, can see that, though. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And well, I, I think feel like we've always been the Josh Ross train, at least on this well, podcast. They, right. Yeah. First, you know, they played him right away on special teams last year. That's why I always say you want a good idea of which freshman the coaches really like, see who they're throwing out on special teams. That's always a great indicator that, you know, because they did it with Hawkins last year. They did it with Ross. Uh, Ambry did it with yeah Ambry obviously Donovan uh you know those guys you know but I and even more so like because guys like Thomas and, and people's Jones they're just guys good at their their specialists yeah. versus they the guys be, who are on special teams right so you see like last year like we talked about when they threw Hawkins out on kick return you know to me right away because Hawkins wasn't one of the more high high profile guys in the class necessarily or Nate um, Sheenley the year before Jordan Glasgow yeah. the year before Hundred percent, you know, that's a great indicator that they really like a guy. So, um, so yeah, so that's what I kind of look at. Uh, but yeah, I think the ones that we talked about are probably pretty much it. I well, mean, the only other one I can think of is I think I have this right. I'm off the top of my head here. Carlo Kemp versus Dwumfor. Oh yeah, sorry. That is a that's a really good one because Kemp was. Really good on Saturday, and he too. was technically the starter. And you know, he he only played three snaps against Notre Dame. And you look back now, and it's kind of like, man, like because you see, again, I know, again, I know, there's that. Basically, take the caveat throughout the entire podcast. I know we're talking about playing against Western Michigan compared to <laughs> Notre Dame, but I mean, you look at how Kemp played. Mm-hmm. They could have used that. Oh man, you kind of feel like he'd have done a better job than what they did get against Notre Dame, you yeah. know. So, um, big stock up guy for sure. So I have a question because you covered his because he was an outside linebacker recruit at one yeah. point. What yeah. is what what it, what should be made of him? Because I think uh, Greg Madison said Carlo Kemp came up and asked the coaches if he could play inside, and yep. and he was he, apparently he's like a very smart, very cerebral guy. We've gotten him in interviews. He's He's come off as such. Uh, yep. I'm curious, like what 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 do you make of him going from? I mean, I don't know if he was ever planning on playing linebacker, but going from outside linebacker to defensive end to a tackle, and how does that pretend to this season and then I guess the rest of his career? Because we've heard stories of guys who got a lot bigger. It's not always a fruitful career that that ends up following, but it seems like he's someone who is 
giving them exactly what they want out of that position right now? I think the chances of it being fruitful are better with him um, than it would be for a lot of guys. Yeah, it's a very peculiar. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, he was sort of sort of an outside backer. I think I think the sense was that he would kind of become a rush end. I know Harbaugh, I think when he called to commit to Harbaugh, Harbaugh said, we we just want you to get to the quarterback. Um, you know, and I don't, you know, he, I don't know if he grew, like hit the weights harder or grew more than what they thought he would. And that's kind of where we're, why we've gotten to where we're at right now. But uh, he, to me, Carlo, basically knowing him from his recruitment and stuff, I think he's on the short list of guys who could potentially be like a captain at some point in the future. Hmm, okay. Um, comes from a football family, comes from the Pagano family, like Chuck Pagano, the head coach, the former head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. Like he's born and bred to play football, but yeah, he's also, um, I, I, again, I'm not in the locker room, but I feel like he's the kind of guy that would 1000% lead by example and, uh, be a guy that would do all the nitty gritty work. Uh, but he has, he's also talent though, too, right? Like he's not a, you know, not a try hard, you know, like guy that, you know, is, yeah. <laughs> he, but he, I think, but he's, but he's got, I think he's got a unique combination of uh, personality, talent and effort that that's the thing. Like I, I'm, I, it's not a shock to me to see him come in and play pretty well in the middle. Like he's a guy that's going to give it his all, but is going to, but is also a smart football player too. Um, so I liked him coming out of high school just because, and that's the thing. That is one of the advantages you can kind of get covering recruiting is sometimes you can kind of get a sense for guys who, you know, are going to have a better chance, let's say, of becoming a guy. Um, because a lot of times it is, it's a lot of times it's the intangibles, you know, with, with some of these kids, because they're all coming in, like, you know, at a school like Michigan, everyone they're going to recruit is, well, almost everyone they're going to recruit is like really, really talented. Right. And mm-hmm. so, um, and there's, there is that idea that when you get to campus, it's kind of, you start over again. I don't know. I don't fully believe that. I mean, there are always going to be your studs that are just going to come in and play and be studs. But I do think there's a large gray area there where, yeah, there's that combination of those, basically the three things I said, like personality, as far as like your drive and then like just you do have to have talent and then just the effort, you know, and I think mm-hmm. he's got all three of those in spades. So, um, yeah, no, that's my long winded Carlo Kemp deal. I think well, now I we know, know, right. I, Cause he's not someone that was talked about a ton. Right. You right. know, but well, now he's, he might trans- be starting at a very, very important position. Right. The guys that transition a lot are, you know, it's like, we didn't talk a lot about chase his first few years. Right. I mean, cause it was like, True it's these guys are some kind of these guys are switching positions it's like it's they're they're having a hard time getting a feel or read for what you know how their their what their career trajectory is going to be uh, but i know carlo probably a top probably a top 5 interview uh, as far as like mm-hmm. a kid that would would give you i'm talking when he was in high school you know i'm sure he's probably similar now you can uh, tell he has a lot of there's good interview qualities to him. Well, yeah. and he's, he's thoughtful. It, right. you know, a lot of these football players, it's like 
I can't tell if they really heard the question I asked because the answer is like pretty unrelated to what I asked and it's it's very uh, surface level. So, so but he's very thoughtful, um, insightful, very Grant right. Newsome like to be honest. Yeah, no, that's that's yeah, yeah. He's in that vein for sure. I mean, that's what I would have. I was Grant was in my head when I talked as that I have a hunch would make it, you know, because that's the same way I yeah. felt about Grant when he was in high school as a guy that was going to be uh, a great representative of the program too, which is exactly how I feel about Carlo, which is again, why I say it would not shock me if he ended his career at some point was a captain at some point. I mm-hmm. just, I think he's got that potential. So, so the anyway, kind of guy that you want, the kind of guy you'd like to have step up and he has, and he, yeah. he looked like he did on Saturday. So we'll see how it continues for him. But I think the early returns are pretty solid. Well, and and you know we'll see what Michael Dumfor has too because I don't think they I don't think it was a total snow job by Michigan to act like he like really turned the corner. I just don't know if it's applied to the games as much as they had hoped yet. But anyway, it hasn't yet. Yeah, it's pretty clear when you're watching. I was being courteous. Okay. Um, so anyway, so that that handles Eric's question. Uh, you know, Carlo Kemp is obviously one who already has and. And I think the way Harbaugh talked about Kemp, by the way, it makes it sound like he's going to be a starter for a while. So yep. something to keep in something to keep in mind. Uh, on now, now we also got questions about the position battles, and and it's where where we've talked about the position battles for uh, nine months, nine to, to ten months. You know, honestly, maybe this entire podcast. This is episode fifty, by the way. I'd be curious how many episodes we've talked about the offensive line. So. Um, Forty, at least, right? Yeah. Um, but anyway, this some of this comes about. I mean, it's part of it's. There, people are just always this way. But Harbaugh seemed to go out of his way to mention Jalen Mayfield and James Hudson this week. Last week, when he was asked about the starting five and if he had any changes, he said, "No, we're going to keep the same five. This week, uh, he was asked about the starting five. He was not asked about making changes, but he was asked about not making changes. And Harbaugh went out of his way, sidestepped the question a little bit said it was great to see Jalen Mayfield. It was great to see James Hudson get in there. He mentioned Jalen Mayfield just needs time on tasks. They have everything that they're looking for in him. Uh, Hudson, it's about doing it you know, consistently in practice. And so this is, I mean, this is stuff we've heard all along. I, I think fans, perhaps they didn't read enough of the stories in fall camp because the other thing that came out, Ed Warner, I don't think it was an accident that they made him available and had him talk about Mayfield and Hudson the same week that Harbaugh seemed to kind of be pushing this. But anyway, you know, he mentioned Mayfield's taking about 25% of the snaps at the ones, and Hudson's higher than that. I don't think that's actually different than what it was in fall camp. I'm not in the practices, but when we talked to Runyon, he mentioned, you know, they're rotating guys at the one. You know, I don't I don't think they're, like, giving them more snaps, but it does. there does seem to be a bit of a push to make it public where everyone is at if that if I don't know if that made sense to our listeners I'll try to rephrase it but it seems like they're trying to make it public that James Hudson has a lot of potential but isn't doing it every snap they're trying to make it public that Jalen Mayfield it's about learning the nuances and and you know learning the calls and and this and that you know but they're making it public that they like them both just not quite enough so Steve uh, we got a couple questions about the offensive line, uh, but first, I guess, what did you make of 
And they also made Juwan Bushabedi available this week to the media, which they had not done all fall camp. So, right. uh, what do you what do you make of this week in the press conference? You know, maybe reading between the lines or or actually reading the lines. You know, regarding the backup offensive lineman, did it did it uh, register any bells for you as far as are they making a change? Are they not? Anything stand out to you? Yeah. So these two sentences stood out to me. This is Warner. I think the thing is that the guys who are the next guys in a lot in at a lot of positions are young and just bring them along at the right pace. You put a young guy in there, three sentences. You put a young guy in there before he's ready, you can ruin him and you could really set him back. You bring him along, give it to him at the pace they can handle, and then you've got something for a long time. I am a huge believer that you can really potentially ruin the trajectory of a kid's career by playing them too early and they have like a horrible experience. And you, I mean, could we argue that Ulysio may have fallen victim to something like that last year? Uh, you know, as a guy, I think, I think Ulysio was never going to be a, like we talked about honing for like never a year one or U two guy. I think he was more of a project player. Um, and then he gets the start against Florida, has a very, very poor performance, and hasn't been heard from since. Yeah, and, uh, they don't. I mean, so, he's even on the no, we've, team we've literally still? never. Heard, we've lit- yeah, he's still on, he's still on the roster. I mean, it, you're right. You're right in the sense. You know, this isn't a shot at Nolan by any means. By the way, no, but not at all. I didn't want just, to try to paint it that way either. But it's like he is not even mentioned as like the third string tackle. It's like yeah. they just said you're never going to play again. I mean, you know, it's. That's so, what, and that's, yeah. you know, and so it's like, it's, it's interesting to think like, so he didn't, and I, I go, obviously the, the situation offensive line is a little bit different this year than it was last year, but it's like funny to think like, you know, he won that job last year. He beat John Runyon. Right. And, or Jawan Bushel Beatty too. Yeah. Right. Had a poor performance and has disappeared. If you didn't know any better, you wouldn't, yeah, you just had to ask me if he's still on the roster. Um, so I'm, well, no, but I, mean, I think I, he I, is to clarify, no, he, but he yeah, he's 100% on the roster. So yeah. I just updated the whole freaking roster yesterday on the site. It took me forever. But anyway, um, I, uh, so I'm a huge, like Warner saying that like really hit for me because that's something I've always thought. And that doesn't, it's not just an offensive line thing either. Like I've, I've just always wondered and believed that the chances of like a guy, potentially busting or not living up to expectations could partially or fully depend on what their first, how their first game experience goes, you know, and like it could be in that you can get it in your head that you don't belong. Uh, you know, if you struggle or make a huge mistake or, you know, things can manifest themselves, it becomes mental, uh, you know, and so, and like, there's a great example with Ulysio, like I said, so um, from first string to, yeah, not, not mentioned once, Probably not mentioned once since that game, period. Yeah, and, uh, I think he started a few games, but yeah, whenever they pulled him, whatever. When, yeah, whenever yeah. that was done, he he's never been heard from again. Well, it was kind of like what they were almost hoping to do with John O'Corn before Peter's injury, right? You know, right. it's like okay, that didn't work. Something but, else, <laughs> but for a, but O'Corn, I think the book was kind of out at that point. Ulysses yeah. was a young guy. I think I think there was some potential there, um, and that's that's. I mean, you got to feel like that's out the window at this point. I mean, there's a, he's not going to overcome Hudson or Mayfield or, you know, they got another group of young guys coming in next year that should be pretty solid. So 
you know, I think there's a, I think there's something to be said about what Warner said there. And I think so, that's why people clamoring and, and out for blood to just get these young guys on the field. You know, this is, it's like sentences, it's comments like that, that why you could always say that you should trust what the coaches are doing, because that's, that's exactly what the deal is. They know they're not, it's not just a, uh, Hey, right tackle didn't maybe play up to par on Saturday or right part, right. Your left tackle didn't play very well against Notre Dame. It's not as simple as just saying, all right, you're in, you know, there's way more that goes in to make it. Cause it's a, it's a big, big decision when you're playing, when it's, especially when you're dealing with younger players who haven't, you know, maybe been under the lights or had that spotlight on them at that point, you know? Well, so, and, and on the other side, and this is, I think I made this argument last week, you know, with the older guys, if you, I, I think I've said this, if I haven't said it on the podcast, I said it on the radio and on the message board. If you change, if you tell the fifth-year senior and the fourth-year junior you are no longer the starter, you better not be ready to turn around and ask him to be yep. the starter again. You're just going to have discouraged workers. It's going to be hard to work, and that's not a dig at any players in particular. It's just like the nature of things. If you get passed by someone younger in 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 this kind of setting it's very hard to have a good attitude about it it's very hard to i mean like the one one of the few exceptions in in my reporting career was Duncan Robinson but basketball's different cuz it's a rotation anyways right you know so it's like and and so yeah you i don't think you can make this change until you're totally committed i thought Harbaugh in a similar vein when he said it's it's that kind of that race to get them ready I thought that was a sign that is it kind of kind of confirmed what a lot of I think we had reported this. I think other people had kind of reported this this general hunch that they like Mayfield and Hudson better. They're just not quite ready yet and they want to wait until they're ready and and you know, if they weren't ready against Notre Dame, you know, I I get that there's like this whole well you'd probably beat SMU with them in, but at this point you might as well wait until they're definitely ready. And then, and then put them out there. I don't know when that is. Um, I know Wilson Mullen asked like over under nine and a half sacks allowed. How how many have they allowed? Five. So not, so yeah. four and a half more sacks given up before Hudson and Mayfield break into the starting lineup. I'd probably say. Well, I don't know how many weeks it'll take for them to get up to ten because I I can't imagine SMU is going to be sacking the quarterback that much. I don't think, um, I wouldn't think so. And then, and then, you know, maybe Nebraska almost, gets there, but. Right. I almost want to agree though, because I think, because I think the teams they play, Nebraska was all right at getting to the quarterback against Colorado. They had a pretty good stretch there. I think in the third quarter or so where their, their defensive line kind of seemed to impose their will a bit, but, um, you know, but the competition until is say until. Uh, I think if I were predicting. I, if I were predicting now, they could just turn around and do it this week, and I, I'd be wrong. But if I were predicting, I would guess like the Maryland game is the sure is the one because it's at home. I know Maryland looks good so far, but it's expected to be a relatively easy opportunity for for a win. Um, I think that would be the game that, that I would circle and say that's probably when they do it. Because you don't you don't want to throw them out there against Wisconsin, right? Uh, right? Right? You know, I, I would. I Zach, I I don't know. I'd probably maybe even move it back further. 
further like down the season or no up? like earlier in the season so like northwestern like, nebraska yeah i just you give them one game against maryland then all of a sudden you got wisconsin i, I don't know i think you'd want these guys to be and here's the thing i mean tell me if you agree or not i kind of feel like that this is where it's heading right i mean at least i don't think like, harbaugh would have said what he said if he didn't expect the them to be the starters by the end of the year Right, and that's that's what I mean. Is like yeah. I kind of feel like that. This is where that's heading. Um, well, maybe. Uh, I mean, at, right. At, so here's the deal. Like, let's go back to fall camp. So at fall camp, it was what we were told, and what played out is that Runyon had left tackle locked. That was like a foregone conclusion with two weeks left in fall camp. I mean, that's what we were told. That's what we reported. That well, we weren't allowed to report that it was a lock, but we were basically it was that. Runyon had taken control or some, you know, generic, like, uh, obtuse phrase, you know, but that. And everyone praised Runyon like crazy in press conferences too. Right. For my side of things. Like it was not like this. Ooh, I don't know who it's going to be. It was like Runyon's one of the guys, the other side, we don't know. He's had a great, he had a great spring, great fall, whatever. Turn the the right side. Right. On the right side, we were told, that phrase turn the corner right is that what didn't you talk didn't yeah we talk about that the light turns yeah. on <laughs> yeah whatever um <laughs> on the right side though it was different it was that hudson and bushel Beatty. that that one was pretty close and that there was a lot of rotation there right mm-hmm. so for me i think it's a matter of time for hudson especially i'm just going off of where they where things claim to be after fall or heading you know about three quarters of the way through fall camp yeah I mean, and, so and think, Warner they, said... I mean, do, do both guys have to be on the same trajectory too, right? Like, I don't necessarily agree with that premise either. Like, so when it's... When these guys come in, does it does it mean that Hudson has to be... Has to get his first playing time at the same time as Mayfield? No. I mean, you know what I mean? So, like, I, I that's where I could see a situation where Hudson plays quicker than Mayfield does. And, and by the way, Warner kind of touched on this. He said... Mayfield's getting 25% of the snaps with the ones. Hudson's getting more. He didn't specify yeah. how much more. He just said I'll more. I'll bet it's a decent amount more. Yeah. I bet. Just if I could, just because that's just the way it's been, it sounds like, you know? Yeah. And uh, by the way, I mean, if, if, if you're Michigan though, that's, I mean, this is, this is a best case scenario for you. As far as like the big picture outlook of the program, is that you all of a sudden have a true freshman? Because here's the thing: if they throw these guys on the field, they they believe that they are going to be players. It's mm-hmm. not a uh, des- move out of desperation. Let's say. I mean, I mean, it could get to that point. Let's say if if like the Runyon, let's say struggles, um, obviously. But there are other guys, you know. I mean, so to have young these two very young players pop up as guys that look like they're ready or about are about ready. You can't ask for much more than that. I mean, that's might be finally, finally be the transition to things turning around up front where they, for Michigan finally has a formidable group year in and year out, you know, and that's kind of what I think people have been waiting for since I don't, 2008, nine, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe the year they won the sugar bowl, they had a pretty good offensive line. They did. But, yeah. Um, but well, just on, yeah. a, on a year in year out basis though, not a, Oh crap, this guy's leaving and we don't have any, we don't, you know, there's not really an adequate 
replacement for him or whatever, you know, which is where you always want to get to in this deal. So, right. um, so yeah, I, I just, I think it'll be interesting. I, I would want, I would, if that's the plan, I think you'd want to do it earlier. Maybe even, I mean, who knows? Maybe that's what happens on Saturday. Without I mean, seeing practice, I can't say for sure what they look like. But yeah, I mean, I said it last week. I thought it was, ir- I thought it would be irresponsible for them to not see what Mayfield and Hudson look like against the first string unit. I, I still agree. I think they, I think that they should have put them in sooner before Western put in their backups. But I would agree. I and, thought I thought Michigan kept all of their starters in a little bit too long against. West yeah, Coast. I was like, what forty two nothing when they when they yeah. took them out. Like I think I think this week if it's a similar game, which I just posted my position by position preview on our site, uh, it's it sure looks like it's going to be a similar game, right? You know, and that maybe maybe you'd put put your backups in when you go up three. Let Dylan McCaffrey run a real offense. Uh, you know, my my colleague on the radio show, Michael Spath, had this good point. When they when they needed Russell Bellamy to win them a game at Nebraska on the road, he had thrown two passes all season. What they had blown out UMass and they had blown out Illinois. You know, it's not like there weren't chances for him to run the offense, but all of a sudden he's thrown into the fire. So yeah, that's a that's a tangential point, but I think one big thing on Michigan's agenda this week should be get an early lead and then play the backups a sincere amount. You know, let you know, because you never know who's going to get hurt and who's going to need to be your starter. And right. so, I mean, it, statistically speaking, it's going to happen. I know Michigan's already got Tariq Black and Aubrey Solomon and and Lawrence Marshall uh, injured, I, and, and Christian Turner, uh, uh, Brad Robbins. They've already got a few, but like statistically speaking, there's probably another injury that's going to happen <laughs> in the next couple weeks, and so. So this is a this is your you're really your best opportunity until November to kind of empty that bench and and not just empty it for like the spot snaps like have Dylan McCaffrey, Jake McCurry, Oliver Martin play real minutes or ha- or snaps or whatever whatever you want to call it have uh you know have have Ambry play some cornerback have you know maybe your safeties have take a few snaps off Aiden Hutchinson, Quiddy Pay you know you can go down the list it's it's I agree with you. I think they should put the backups in sooner. And I think if I'm if I'm the coaches, I do not see a reason why your backup offensive linemen, specifically at the tackle position, aren't in while SMU's first string is still in. Yep, makes total yeah, sense. Yeah, if you want to give them a, if they're yeah if they've got if they've built up a nice lead, I, I agree. And yeah. that's at the very least, right? Because like I said, like maybe this is building up for one of those guys to get a start. You know, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be With blown Hudson. away if Hudson started based on right, the language, right? Yep, yep, I agree. Yeah, so, although Bushel ba- making Bushel Beatty available Tuesday only to have him not start, that would be a that would be a new one in my availability theory. That's true. Good point. <laughs> um, way, to, way to use context there. That's a uh, that's good good thinking because you're probably right. But uh, yeah, I think I think we're in agreement that this is it. This is where it's heading. It should not really be a big surprise to anybody uh that it's a gradual process yeah and not a uh not a you know you can't hit pause it's and not then it's not a pitcher in a, in a yeah giving up two home runs you just put in somebody else it's not quite like that you can't go into substitute you can't hit pause go into substitutions and throw <laughs> ol 75 out there instead you know you gotta <laughs> it's not that type of deal so so a couple other quick questions before we do a little bit of smu talk um 
Joel, Joel Canadian, have you seen a noticeable difference on the field, good or bad, with the changes in strength and conditioning coaches? Uh, I am not, maybe I'm not the right guy to observe this stuff. I would say no. I think it was overblown. They're bigger. Uh, I'd have to look at missed tackle rates to see if that's any better, but I think uh, I have not seen a noticeable difference. Have you? 27, no. 27 players gaining double-digit pounds have, has not shown anything different on the field. Um, it's hard. It's hard. Like That's something I think would have to be like asked in an availability. Because how are you tangibly like the fact that they ran for 300 yards against Western Michigan? They probably I would have done that anyways. It also, yeah, yeah, you know, like that's yeah. I also have talked to a couple former players, and their their thing was the strength and conditioning program needs to build up for November. Like that's when that weight comes in handy because it's not, it's you know, you can't throw as far in the cold or if it's snowing or you know, it's not it's not quite one of those speed games. It's more of a you know, thud kind of game where, where, right. you know, the strongest survive. So, so maybe, maybe later, Joel, but, but nothing yet. Um, uh, Mike Dion, in your opinion, is DPJ cutting it at punt returns or is it time for Chris Evans Ambry to get a shot? I, I don't think he's bad. I mean, he, he was fine last year. It's, it is a kind of a boomer bust situation, but I don't know if that's the worst thing to have at punt return. Although Ambry Thomas is fast enough and elusive enough. I would almost say he needs to get the Jabril Peppers treatment where if you can find a way to get the ball in his hands, keep doing it and do more of it. So I wouldn't be opposed to Ambry being punt returner, but... No, but that doesn't mean anything about yeah. what Donovan's done. It's more Don, It's more that Ambry could be a very special, elusive talent uh, already. Could, yeah, right. I think Donovan's been fine. I think he has too. And I think he's been one of those guys. I think he's one of those guys. I think fans have been a little bit too. Well, that's that five star badge, right? You know, you're. you're, I get it. People are calling him a bust when he's really the best receiver they they've had. You know, maybe maybe the best receiver they've had, but he's in that group and he's a sophomore. So right. uh, Yeah. He had a. So he caught a ball deep in Notre Dame territory that actually, when you actually realize the context, was probably the right play. And then he had a ball this last week that took a – it did. Watch the replay. It took a funky bounce. I mean, there's just no way around it. It wasn't as if he – you know. So I'm not that – I think he's fine. I think they'll keep him back there. I'd be – you know. And, again, that, I mean, yeah. I mean, you could throw Ambry Thomas back there. But that's, at what point are you stretching him too thin, though? You know, right. Donovan's, Donovan's a dynamic athlete, too. I mean, he's as athletic as Ambry is, probably. Um, you know, so – I, I, yeah, I don't think you make any changes there yet. Yep. Uh, and he's, you know, here, oh, hold on, sorry. I was, I was going to say though, too, go back. Like he did, he did, he showed some flashes of Jabril last week in the idea of running long distances on punts to just catch the ball to make sure it didn't bounce. He did that a couple times last Saturday. That's true. Which, That's true. Which is my to this day. Uh, I always thought was one of Jabril's like two or three biggest assets of the team it was his ability to uh, field short pumps <laughs> in the Gosh, air. The fair catch and the gentle set down of the field. <laughs> yeah, and, and save save the team like a potential twenty five or thirty yards of field position by just simply running to the ball and catching it. Yeah, uh, but Donovan did that a few times last week. So that's I guarantee you the coaches. If he does that, 
they're not going to they're not going to make a switch because that's I mean you can't put a value on that. That's a quarter of the field potentially again. I mean the ball could bounce backwards, but you know what I mean. Like the chance yeah. that you're taking by letting it drop. Right. So. Well, and even if it's five yards, that's big. Right. You know it adds up, and so yeah, and I think the fact that Michigan is still sticking by him. Uh, after last season, after what happened early in last season, they stuck. I mean, they like him there, you know, and, yep. and I, again, I don't think he has done, if he were a pitcher, maybe he's given up like a couple runs through four innings, but you're not pulling him. You're not looking at the bullpen already. Um, yeah. Good. Uh, good analogy. Well, there. you know, it's like, he's not, he's not striking four everybody eight. out throwing a no hitter, but he can still win you the football game. So, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be opposed to Ambry just because I think he is that fast and that. Uh, no, I think he's yeah. that good too. But you also, like I said, you so we you know he was uh, on kick return, on defense and offense on Saturday. Yep. Yep. And you know how like it was with Jabril where it got to the point where you you kind of had to pick and choose your spots with him because you didn't want to wear the guy out. And mm-hmm. and I think Donovan's dynamic enough and has done a decent enough job to where you don't really want to risk it anymore by putting too much on Ambry's plate, yeah. you know, because yeah. then you'll start to get diminishing returns, especially in October, November, you know, over the long haul of the season. So now one difference is Ambry is not a regular defensive start. Like you have Brandon right. Watson and, and on offense, it's not like he's the only guy that can make a, you know, they, they, I like him. I like giving him the McDoom set, but you know, there are other uh, guys on the team that could do it. Yeah, uh, they need to, I don't, I'm, I'm, just from a strict football standpoint, I'm hope I'm hoping they do something else with them, though. I mean, that is just, <laughs> I you know, I a little too, you know, and I know they added the little wrinkle where they faked the McDoom sweep to Ambry and then handed the ball off, I think, to Higdon or somebody. Yeah, like I would like to actually see him, you know, because they never would just throw the ball to McDoom. Like, yeah, maybe have him run a well, short they had a couple fades ball. against Michigan State, but yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, but I mean, like that was his primary role was just that one play. Yeah, yeah. Or the and, wrinkle and, off of that. And part. every coach knew if McDoom right. was on the field, that was probably coming. You know, right. it's like, uh, so you so can, anyway. You can, use, you can use it and wrinkle it up because if you got enough guys that you can throw the ball to or, you know, get the ball to, but it, he's dynamic enough to where they should be trying to get the ball in his hand, much like another offensive player that is still not getting the ball in a variety, enough of a variety uh ways like Chris Evans. Um mm-hmm. You know, as a guy that they just could, should try to find as many different ways to get somebody like that the ball as they can. Yeah. Anyway, we can move on. We got some over unders brought to you by Neil and AKA via Azul on our board. But uh, uh, regarding Michigan SMU, some over unders. Speaking of Chris Evans, 90 and a half rushing receiving yards combined. So total yards or yards from scrimmage for Chris Evans. Over. Yeah. You think they dial him up? I don't know. I just it's it's. I think it's a safer bet to say over, just because I think all. I mean, think about it. If he if he takes one fifty or sixty yards, like yeah, I mean, you know, then the and the odds of that happening against a not so good team are pretty high. Exactly. So, so I'm, yeah. I'm playing it safe. Like I can see where he to go end up under, but if he ends up under, it's because he just didn't get a lot of opportunities. Next one, thirty four and a half receiving yards for Zach Gentry. I don't know what's up with the tight ends. They they haven't been targeted much. They haven't caught very much. I don't know if that's a Patterson. I don't think it's a Patterson thing because he's used tight ends before. Uh, but but 30, 
34 and a half receiving yards for Gentry. I just based on the last two weeks, I'm inclined to say under because they just haven't gone to him very much. Over. Okay. Anything? I think they're just kind of biding their time. Yeah. Well, would they bide their time? Would they continue to bide their time against a team they should beat by (laughs) a lot of points? (laughs) Like this is where they open up the playbook, but yeah. I think he like just. But I mean, thirty-four and a half. I mean, again, it could be a deal where he catches like three passes for forty-one yards or something. Someday so. we should keep score on these texts. Uh, hundred and sixty-five and a half yards passing for Patterson, uh, because I don't believe Harbaugh is going to pull the backup or pull the first string as early as he probably should, and because SMU is not a good pass defense, they've given up. Uh, 607 passing yards in two games already and a 70% completion rate. And the fact that Michigan's probably still trying to work on pass protection, work on developing the young receivers, work on this vertical passing game that could, that could really help them in some of those games against the big, the big teams later on. I'm going to say over. Um, yeah, I agree. I'm going to go over as well. Eight and a half players with one or more catch. I'm going to say over that's a high un- that's a high over under because it's not too common that that happens I think but I think this is one of those games I think you know a couple running backs uh, a couple tight ends perhaps maybe this is a Nick Eubanks game yeah McCurry yeah, yeah. Um, you know Martin Perry Peoples Jones Thomas so on you know I- I'll say over I agree a lot of overs. Has it been all over? Uh, well, I was oh, I was under right? on Gentry, but zero point five snaps for Peters and Milton. I gotta say over on that. I just I can't. Peters and Milton combined. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's got to be over too. I would think. So, do you think they're gonna play? Uh, you know, Western Michigan forty nine three. You think that's the time to put in a Joe Milton if there is one? Do you think they're gonna play him? Um. Yeah, that's a great question. Because I think Peters is going to get snaps, but... I don't think there's any downside with the new rule. Yeah. you should. He should see the field at some point this year. So the, I guess this would be one of the... This would be the most ripe opportunity remaining, I guess, for them to do to do that. <laughs> so, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, think about, I mean do, do you... But do you... The one I mean, downside what, is you take away snaps from others who might yeah, actually be used. Do yeah. you play four quarterbacks? Do you sit McCaffrey? Because like, do you want to? Because here's the thing: I feel like if you say it's Patterson and then say it's McCaffrey for a little bit, and then let's say they go to Milton, you're immediately going to alienate your other quarterback. Well, and and you know how Michigan fans are. It's like when Harbaugh says Dylan McCaffrey's the number two. I wrote that story and like. There were five comments that said Peters is gone. He's transferring. Yeah, right. It's like, I know. gosh, I hate that. Goodness but gracious! Uh, it could be, be expected though. Like, yeah, you know, that people are gonna. Yeah, so uh, four hundred nine point five yards of offense. I think that's an easy over. I agree. Yep, uh, four and a half sacks by the defense. I'm gonna say over. It's a high number, but SMU is giving up four point zero sacks per game. They have one offensive lineman over three hundred pounds. They are not there. They have a, I mean, here's some context. They have a guy who was a bench offensive lineman at Kansas. He's one of their starting offensive linemen. So I, I, I think that's probably one of the weak points on their team. They have some guys who are experienced and, 
and are talented. I just think this is this is one where Michigan's defensive line, assuming it wants to, which I assume it wants to, you know, immobile quarterback or a guy who's not really that much of a runner, a downfield passing game. I think this is a prime opportunity for Michigan to build up its team sack total. Yeah. Although, I mean, I just part of me though feels like that teams are just going to avoid sacks. Yeah, just <laughs> one, two, throw, one, two, throw, one, two, throw, like all day because they know that Michigan's ends are more often than not are going to win the battle on the outside, right? I mean, right. I don't know. I think it's a tough one. Um, I'll play under just to be different. I okay. think it, I think it'll be under. Okay. 11 and a half tackles between Devin Bush and Josh Ross. I forgot to look up how many tackles they have. Uh, probably seems reasonable. I mean, what Devin Bush averaged last year, eight tackles a game. And you mentioned Josh Ross probably going to play some. I'll, I might say under, though. I mean, you basically are counting on both of them having big games. And I don't know if, I don't know, I don't know how, how much they're going to play. I mean, this seems like a game where you would pull those guys. Maybe not Ross, but Bush. I agree. Let's see. Yeah, so far, Devin Bush has five and a half tackles for game, and Josh Ross has five tackles for game. So that was actually a an astute over-under because they're averaging 10, 10 and a half combined, so 11 and a half is one more. Uh, anyway, 20 minutes time of possession for SMU. That seems like an easy over. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how what their typical time of possession is, but like Western dominated time of possession last week. So, uh, and then 199.5 yards allowed by the defense. This is a bolder one, but having looked up how they did against TCU and how they did against uh, North Texas, which I assume they're going to be good based on the fact that they were leading SMU 36 nothing, but I'm not sure how good they're going to be. Right. I'm going to say under. I think SMU's offense is a huge work in progress. They lost two amazing, amazing receivers. Ben Hicks has not looked the same since they since they left the team, So, I, a.k.a. this season. Don't have a, a lot of great pass catchers. Braden West is a good running back. He is not a great running back. And Michigan's defense uh, is pretty good. They're, they're good at pursuit. So I'm going to say under basically 200 yards allowed. I'm gonna say over. Yeah, I think they get some in garbage time and put it over. Yeah, and that's fair. That's that's the other side of the coin. Is is it's it's hard to hold a team under 200 yards, especially when you blow them out. So anyway, uh, we'll close real quick here. Final thoughts uh, is what sort of things are you looking at other than the score for Michigan? I like the segment we did it last week that would allow this game to count as a successful weekend for Michigan. I'll let you go first. I, actually, I'll be honest. I, I'd kind of like to see him force a few turnovers. Like, yeah. You know, I, I, what did they get the one last week? Right. Yeah. Interception. Yeah. I'd like to see him force a few fumbles. Um, you know, we're, t- I know it's only two games in the season, but we're kind of here again where it's like their defense is, is, ferocious they're fast they get to the ball but they don't really seem to force a ton of turnovers i know there's the whole they play a lot of man which i think they ironically i think the interception they were playing zone um when Furbush picked off the pass i believe that was the zone 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that they play a lot of man, so they're not going to pick off a ton of passes. They're going to be more pass deflections or whatever. Uh, doesn't mean anything about forcing fumbles. So I, I'd, I'd kind of like to see the defense, like, again, inferior opponent, but I'd like to see them maybe start to, you know, force some turnovers, knock some balls loose and, and see what happens. Like, I just feel like they're, I feel like if there's in my, from my standpoint, it's the one thing that has been underwhelming defensively is I just don't feel like they force enough turnovers, which again, when they're near the tops in the country and tackles for loss and sacks, you know, you, you'd think that they'd be getting more, you know? So that's me. I mean, yeah, obviously offensive line stuff, like, but again, I'm not, we've been down that road a million times now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, for me, Oh, I had a good one, and then I kind of blanked. Uh, oh, oh, special teams. Uh, this is uh, this is one of those things that I do where I come up with one that helps round out our preview insight. So SMU special teams, they've got a good punter. Uh, that's about all they've got. Uh, they've got CJ CJ Sanders, a Notre Dame grad transfer, as their return man. But they are one of the few teams in the country that have already allowed a kickoff return for a touchdown and a punt return for a touchdown. And I think this is a good opportunity for Michigan. You know, I injuries are, are relevant, but you might as well take as many kicks back as you can and see if that can become a strength for you, uh, see if that can alter how teams kick or punt to you down the road. So, yeah, I think, I think this is a good special teams. You know, maybe block a kick, maybe block a punt. They've allowed a blocked punt as well. So uh, that's probably one thing that can count as a success. And then, to me, I think, you know, there's no reason to really run the ball that much. I know they're going to have a lead, so you might as well. But uh, this is a, this is another chance, somewhat similar to last week, work on that vertical passing game. Because if all of a sudden you're going up against Wisconsin and you have one of the better passing offenses in the Big Ten, along with that defense and, and what you have in Karan Higdon and Chris Evans and, you know, some of this other stuff, you know, you might it, – it could really alter your season if you really can hone that – and make make teams play you honestly, you know, not stack in the box seven deep or eight deep or whatever. Uh, so, so that would count too. I, I think I think making it easy. I know we mentioned that's kind of in line with the score, but making it easy is probably the number one thing. Uh, so we shall see, we shall see, and we will be back next week. This has been the Wolverine twenty four seven podcast. Uh, for Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. Check out all of our stories, MichiganInsider.com, Michigan Insider. 24-7 sports slash Michigan, however you want to get there. I'll have a little bit more preview coverage, a little bit of stuff relating to Military Appreciation Weekend, which is this weekend, uh, some, some other good stories coming up. And, uh, yeah, we'll be back next week. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. We'll see you then.